You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Hey friends, John Bush here coming at you from Cabo San Lucas on my honeymoon as my new wife gives me some not so happy eyes because I am working and I said I wasn't. But anyway, I'm not going to record an entire podcast because I want some time to R&R and soak up my lovely wife, Rebecca, formerly Miss Rebecca Powers, now Mrs. Rebecca Bush. But anyway, for today, I wanted to deliver, to keep this weekly thing going, if you hadn't noticed, I've been doing a podcast every week on Tuesday for the past four or five weeks. We're going to keep that groove going. So for this week, I'm going to hit you with the blast from the past. This is a talk I did nine years ago at uh, Liberty Fest West, I think it was called, in Odessa, Texas, put on by um, my good friend Caleb Leverage. This is a talk titled, The Constitution Equals Slavery. Agorism equals freedom. So check it out. This is from uh, 2013. I hope you enjoy it. It's all about the roots of the Constitution and how it's not such a document for freedom after all. And agorism or revolutionary market anarchism is the solution. We'll be back next week. I hope you enjoy it. This is John Bush signing off. Peace. My name's John Bush. Uh, I uh, hail from Central Texas. Liberty activist uh, for about the past 10 years, uh, began by questioning uh, what happened on 9-11, opened my eyes, did a lot of research about uh, what we're facing, uh, the global government, the philosophy of collectivism that's being implemented, Uh, did a lot of anti-war activism, got involved uh, with the Ron Paul campaign, introduced me to libertarianism, we founded Texans for Accountable Government, kicked a lot of butt in the political field. Ron Paul introduced me to Murray Rothbard, who then introduced me to the philosophy of uh, voluntarism and uh, anarchism and the prospects of creating a stateless society. That's something that I'm going to be talking to you about tonight. My thesis essentially is that government, with its geographic monopoly on the ability to force people to do things, never has been, and in my opinion, never will be about protecting or securing the rights of the individual. In fact, it seems to always do just the opposite. It doesn't protect the life, liberty, and property of the people, unless, of course, you're the tiny privileged minority elite. Uh, In that instance, not only does it protect your property, but it also creates institutions that don't allow others to compete. It preserves the power. So I'm going to maybe tip a few sacred cows here. Saw a lot of cattle ranches on the way out, on the drive out from Austin. And uh, so before I move on, I got to say, The following message does not necessarily reflect the views of the organizers of this event or those speakers on this stage tonight. These are my views, and I'm going to do some sacred cow tipping, and that sacred cow is the United States Constitution. And all night, and even for a large part of my uh, political life, uh, I have been a major fan of the Constitution. At one point, I even think the Constitution granted me rights, and it's because of the Constitution that we're free. Uh, But, you know, after digging a little deeper, I soon found otherwise. So, the Constitution, which many people hail as an institution that's provided us with so much freedom, actually created less freedom than there was before the Constitution. We had the Articles of Confederation before the Constitution, and what happened with the Constitution was actually a massive expansion of central government. 
which is interesting because uh, those who founded this country had just fought a revolution against a massive tyrannical overpowering central government. Why would they want to create another one? Well, a lot of the people didn't want that, but unfortunately, the privileged elite, who many refer to as the Founding Fathers, did want that. They wanted to secure that for themselves. John W. Burgess, a constitutional scholar and founder of the first American political uh, graduate program at uh, Columbia University, in 1880, he wrote, they were there, speaking of those who went to the Constitutional Convention, they were there for the purpose of simply improving the machinery of the Confederate government and increasing somewhat its powers. There was also but one legal way for them to proceed in reorganizing the American state as the original basis of the Constitution, which they were about to propose. They must send the plan before a preliminary, uh, as a preliminary proposition to the Confederate Congress, procure its adoption by that body and its recommendations by that body to the legislatures of the commonwealths, and finally secure its approval by the legislature of every commonwealth. They failed to do that. The Constitutional Convention was essentially a constitutional coup d'etat. It's no wonder the delegates wanted to have the proceedings in secret. It was totally secret, there was no press, didn't allow anybody to see what they were doing. They did it under the cover of darkness. Another thing is Benjamin Tucker, who's a 19th century individualist anarchist, he wrote in his journal, Liberty, the Declaration of Independence declares that governments derive their, their power, their just powers, from the consent of the governed. It therefore follows, Therefore follows that when any individual is governed by a government without his or her consent, that government is exercising unjust powers and is a usurpation. And yet, in the government subse subsequently instituted under the Constitution, one half of the people, the women, were denied representation at the onset, while under the ban of slavery and other constitutional bars, the number permitted to express consent or dissent was in the aggregate cut down to less than one-tenth of the whole people that inhabited the geographic area uh, of, that the colonies and states took. To what a ridiculous farce do Jefferson's glittering generalities reduce themselves at the first touch of common sense? So there you have it, less than 10% of the people that inhabited that area actually even had a say in the Constitution's founding here in the great United States of America. So how can we expect a Constitution that by its nature was founded unconstitutionally without the consent of the whole of the people to possibly be a legitimate uh, means of securing our own individual liberty? That's a question that I'd like to ask. And in order to answer, in order to further my point, let's take a little bit, and I know we've all read the Constitution in this room, I'm sure, but have you really read it uh, uh, in a critical light, having set aside maybe what many of us learned in public, uh, public school? Just start with Article 1, Section 8, the powers of the Congress. The first clause gives a small minority of individuals the right to tax the entire geographic area of the United States of America. Clause 2 of Article 1, Section 8, to bar, it gives the Congress the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States. And that was on the backs of the people. You think we're gonna give power some small privileged elite minority, the congressmen who I'm sure were just as corrupt as they are today, the power to take credit out on our behalf? Some people may say, well, you just built the bums out, but we see how well that's done for us. And then the Interstate Commerce Clause. I'm sure there's been, there can be private trade associations that can just as well handle interstate commerce. That's one of the big reasons why people say we had to go to the United States Constitution. I think perhaps those folks may not have been creative enough to figure out another way to do it without forcing people uh, you know, at gunpoint. And of course we see what the Commerce Clause has turned into. If you study nullification or uh, how they used it in 1933, uh, they used the Commerce Clause to say you can't grow crops in your own backyard because it could 
potentially hurt uh, the commerce of another state or another farm in another state, uh, not even having to cross the, the state lines, of course. What else do we have? Now here's one that uh, really rings true to a lot of the uh, attitude that was uh, brought forward tonight. The Congress has the power to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions. If you look up the definition of insurrection in Black's Law, it's nothing more than a rebellion. I see a lot of re rebels in this room. Are we engaging in rebellion because we're questioning our government in such a radical manner? Hell yeah. That's up to, that's up to interpretation by the Congress. Or the, uh, you know, the nine guys in robes that call themselves the uh, Supreme Court. And George Washington did precisely that. He utilized a constitutional act to put, put down the Whiskey Rebellion. These were just pe peaceful Appalachian mountain men who were, they used it actually as a means of trading and commerce because it took a long time. It was their commodity. It was a money for them. And they were going to tax it. And when they said no, and they stood up like many people have advocated doing tonight, George Washington, under the direction of Alexander Hamilton, one of the biggest tyrants of all, uh, they went ahead and put down that. People were killed. Thankfully, it didn't turn into a full-bloody uh, revolution. Now, a lot of people are familiar with NDAA, right? What if I told you that NDAA is essentially already in the United States Constitution? The only difference is now they gave the power to the president, but you check out Article 1, Section 9, the limits on Congress. This doesn't sound like a lim limit, by the way. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus, they call it a privilege, shall not be suspended unless of cases of rebellion or invasion unless when the public safety may require it. So we all see how, uh, in, in how little value liberty has when security is potentially uh, on the line here in the United States. So the, essentially what this was was a privileged minority creating an institution that would prevent future generations from overtaking their power position. That's exactly what we've seen happen today, which defies what the Declaration of Independence said, that we have the right to alter our, or abolish our government. Well, if you try to do that, the Constitution has it all mapped out on how they can put the insurrection down, just like they did with the Whiskey Rebels. And then, of course, you take into fact uh, the Alien and Sedition Acts, which was right after the Constitution Act was passed. Already they're, they're saying you can't speak out against your government. Thankfully, old Jefferson uh, utilized nullification. So the Constitution has built in checks again to maintain their own power. Now, I agree that the Constitution is the furthest that civilization has come as far as creating an institution of limited government before, of course, if you juxtapose the situation, the environment, it was just the kings running roughshod willy-nilly. There was no uh, semblance of liberty, not even the idea. But something I learned from Stefan Molyneux is that whenever you have a, a, some amount of freedom, especially economic freedom, it only allows the state to tax you more and then to, in turn, turn into a, one of the most massive empires the world has ever seen. So I want to point out a Lysander quote, another 19th century individualist anarchist who was also an abolitionist. He says, but whether the Constitution really be one thing or another, this much is certain, that either it has authorized such a government as we have had, or has been powerless to prevent it. In either case, it is unfit to exist. Now, my goal is not to bring back the Constitution or the re restore the Republic. If you take a look at history, just take a look at what republics have descended into, the largest tyrannies and despotic empires that have ever existed. And again, this can be attributed to the amount of freedom that the individuals had and the government leached off of it and didn't use it to benefit the masses. They used it to murder and enslave people across the globe. And our government's not exempt from that. We've actually mastered it. Maybe it's back to the theme of technology, why it's happened. 
So my goal is not, again, to restore the Constitution. My goal is the creation of a wholly free society, which means an environment in which individuals can act according to their own ends, uninhibited by other individuals, whether it be constitutional or not. And so I want to examine exactly what it is about states and what it is about the United States Constitution and the U.S. government, again, that's not exempt, that makes it so difficult for individuals to secure their inherent freedom and to express their uh, individual sovereignty. Murray Rothbard defined the state as an institution which possesses one or both of the following properties. Either it acquires its income by the physical coercion known as taxation, and if you don't, take, if you don't think taxation is theft, then try not paying your income tax and we'll see how forceful it is. It, or, and or, it asserts and usually obtains a coerced monopoly of the provision of defense, of defense service, police or courts, over a given territorial area. And it's precisely the legitimacy that the state holds on its ability to force people to do things that makes it so dangerous. That's why someone, just because they're wearing a blue outfit with a, with a, with a badge on their chest, can come up and whack you in the head with a baton and potentially get promoted. If another individual, absent the badge and the supposed legitimate authority that the state grants the institution known as police and sheriffs, uh, then they're going to go to jail and they're going to be held accountable. They're going to be made to hold the individual they harmed. Uh, they're going to make them whole. But this doesn't happen in, in society because someone's wearing a badge because they have the su supposed legitimate authority of the state. Uh, this is also why an oil company here in, uh, what is it, Gardendale, can come in and, and claim to have legitimate authority to using your property. They're using the government and their forceful coercion arm I don't know who it would actually be that would execute it, the DPS or who, who, whoever, or the local police. Maybe the sheriffs would be the ones to come in and force the property owners to allow these oil companies who have a supposed claim that's legal under the Texas Constitution. Uh, they would force them to allow them to be on their land. And it's again, it's the state that people hide themselves from. This is why when I was driving through Oklahoma, uh, I was pulled over. There was expired tags. You know, there's a, actually a property tax in the state of Missouri on their vehicles. You have to pay property tax on the vehicles even if you own them. Of course, you never own them if you're constantly paying property tax on them. Well, we refuse to renew the tags and pay the property tax naturally. And I'm driving through Oklahoma. We must have some sort of um, uh, mutual agreement or memorandum of uh, understanding. We get pulled over, and long story short, the officer ends up uh, having our vehicle detained and leaving me and uh, my roommate Stephen on the side of the road with a whole mess of uh, product that we were taking to speak at a nullification conference up there. And, uh, you know, I, I told the officer a joke. I always give these guys an earful, especially if they're going to keep me and hold me against my will. I'm going to make them think. And uh, I said, hey, can I tell you a joke? He said, sure. I said, do you know the only difference between police and highway robbers? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, well, when the highway robbers pull you over and rob you, which is essentially what happened to me, they don't tell you they're doing it for your own good. They just take your stuff and leave you there. <laughs> and another thing Lysander pointed out, Lysander Spooner, is that the highwayman doesn't follow you around then, claiming to exercise authority over you, follow you around with a gun, constantly berating you, forcing you to do things, and forcing you to live in fear. The highwayman doesn't do that. He's, he's above that. He'll just rob your car and, and leave you there. And he won't try to make you think he's your boss, like the state does. And they use guns to do it, of course. The government's also like the mafia. If there's any small business owners in the room, essentially what the mafia does, and I don't claim to be an expert in the mafia, I haven't seen all the Sopranos though, but essentially what they do is they'll show up to the local business and say, hey, you know, it's a dangerous neighborhood around here. 
you might need some protection. Uh, we got a little protection racket, we'll keep you safe. And the business owner naturally be like, well, I actually feel pretty safe myself. Actually, I'm not too concerned about this neighborhood. A week later, a brick gets thrown through their window, one of their employees gets roughed up, and they end up being coerced into paying a monthly fee to the mafia. The government operates the exact same way. If you try to set up shop without a business license or without all the necessary and applicable permits, they're gonna come and break your door down. It's the exact same thing, except everybody allows them to get away with it because they're the state, because they have that supposed legitimate authority. Now, it begs the question, a lot of people say, well, what's the alternative? We need this government to protect us from evil people. Well, whenever you have the presence of an institution of monopolized violence, it's precisely those evil people that would exploit others to further their own ends that are going to inhabit this institution. And that's what tends to happen, and that's part of the reason why we have such a large problem today. And then government, again, is the, is the reason why we have so much war. They can tax people, they have this massive central bank, they can create money out of thin air to go bomb foreign countries. That's why we have empire, genocide, democide, which is governments murdering their own people, which just so happens to be the number one cause of unnatural death in the 20th century. So what do we do about it? A lot of people say, well, let's go to the very institution that's violating our rights and ask them to secure our rights, as they've never done ever in the history of government. And again, it's a lot of propaganda for people to think that they are protecting our, our life, liberty, and property, unless you're the tiny, privileged elite. Government will not make us free. If we go to government to ask for our freedom, we're only proving how unfree we truly are. Government also operates, I've come to learn, on a voluntary basis where we opt into many of the tyrannical programs that we oppose so much because we're afraid of what would happen, the consequences were we not to opt into these programs. One of those is the driver's license. I have a natural right to travel. Allow me to demonstrate it. <laughs> Notice I did not have to ask permission from government to do that. Yet, when my driver's license expires in June 2012, I'm gonna consider renewing it, even though they now take a picture that's capable of having facial recognition technology applied to it. And even though it hurts in the pit of my stomach to have to ask permission to exercise a natural right, consequently, turning it into a privilege. So I got some, some considering to do. Hopefully if enough people stand up together, it'll, it'll lighten the load a little bit. Uh, and the income tax, of course, it's even written into the code that there's voluntary compliance with the income tax. But again, if you try to do otherwise, then you'll slowly see, you'll, you'll quickly see exactly uh, what government is and government is forced. Now, there's a lot of political campaigns too that people get involved with in order to try to secure their freedom. And this is fine and well, and it does further the cause of liberty because it educates people about the philosophy of liberty. And Ron Paul is a perfect example of this, and I think he's doing a fine job, and he's swelling the ranks, and he's growing the movement, and he's pulling people out of their slumber every single time he's up on stage or one of his commercials airs. But ultimately, it's purveying the idea that we can abrogate the responsibility of securing our freedom. There's nobody that can make you free except for yourself. And you have to make that choice that you want to live freely. And it's a difficult choice facing, again, the monopoly of institutionalized violence. But I want to appeal to people to take their freedom into their own hands. And another thing, I'm not for revolution. I don't want revolution. I don't want to have to 
take up arms and, and fight potentially my fellow Americans. I don't want that. That, that. that is a scary prospect. Never been in the military, have a lot of military friends, and it's scary stuff. I've heard a lot of stories. Thomas Jefferson said, every generation needs a new revolution. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to preserve an institution of power and the only prospect of being free is to take over that institution because what we often find is those individuals, even if they claim to be standing for freedom, like our founding fathers was, were they certainly turn into the same a-holes that they just threw out of office and it happens all throughout history. What revolution is to me is exactly what the definition means. It's perpetual cycles revolving over and over, never advancing towards genuine freedom. So how do we get there, if not through government? Well. There's a wonderful libertarian strategy called agorism. Agora is essentially Greek for market, and what it calls on us to do is not to compete within the state, but to compete with the state. To build alternative competing institutions based on mutually beneficial voluntary associations, not monopolized hierarchical violence and force and coercion. And we're beginning to do just that. And many people in the liberty movement are beginning to do just that. And again, I still have much respect and I think it's absolutely wonderful for people to be involved politically. And that is furthering the cause of liberty. It's waking a lot of people up. But if that's our only strategy, again, I feel we're gonna be doomed to perpetually keep on that cycle where my daughter's gonna have to fight a revolution uh, or her children are gonna have to continually fight a revolution like our good friend Thomas Jefferson said. I don't want that. We need to not revolution. We don't need revolution. We need peaceful evolution. And I think agorism and the ideal of building competing institutions can accomplish just that. So what are some of these institutions? Well, I think the very one we can begin with is we can build our own institutions that can provide sustenance for us and provide food. Food is the great uniter. I was recently in court for a, another traffic ticket. Uh, and uh, there was a deputy there, and I turned to the deputy and asked her why the gun is necessary to force me to come here to Judge Herb Evans, Precinct 5. I was planning on coming anyway, although I did miss the court date before. So they, sent, they put out an arrest warrant for me, essentially, and there was two armed individuals. I, I voluntarily came to them, and I asked them, you know, why, why do you gotta use the gun to force people to come in here? I was gonna come with my own accord. I, I really don't appreciate it. Don't you think it would be just as easy to, to ask me to come without having to threaten me and threaten my life? I've been paranoid the whole drive and all day since I got your call that I'm gonna get pulled over and tossed into a jail for failure to appear for a victimless crime, I might add. And eventually she said, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking to you anymore about this. So I, I was successful in making her more uncomfortable than I was there, uh, even with the gun in the room. Uh, yeah. But shortly thereafter, she brought up to her, her fellow deputy, she talked about her garden and the greenhouse she had. And I butted in and said, hey, you know, I have a garden in my backyard too. And we had a conversation, we had a human moment there, uniting around the common ideal of growing food, self-sufficiency, and self-sustenance. So there's nothing more important, in my opinion, than growing food and being able to provide for us. Because whether it's a war in Iran, closing the Straits of Hormuz, a dollar collapse, uh, some sort of pandemic, the food supply chain is rather weak and growing our own food is absolutely imperative uh, if we are to be able to live free uh, and sustainable in the future. Another institution we can compete with the system with is the institution of education. Now there's a lot of people that are sick and tired of uh, propaganda and belief systems that, not, that aren't their belief systems getting shoved down the throats of their children. 
whether it's this collectivist worldview that's been permeating in the, the Department of Education since its inception, whether it's teaching creationism, which some people might be opposed to, or teaching intelligent design, which some people might be opposed to, the solution isn't to go join the school board and try to create an environment where, or to participate in an environment where 50% plus one can dictate what your children are taught. The alternative is to go ahead and build a cooperative of homeschool families. And I know it's difficult, and I know a lot of people don't have time, and a lot of parents are both working jobs, but there are cooperatives out there. They're all alternatives, and it does take a little bit of extra work. It's not as easy as sending your kid off in the morning, they come pick them up, but I guarantee you, you're gonna be able to ensure that they're being taught something that's more in line with your moral view as opposed to somebody that lives on the other side of town who you may not agree with anything on. Another thing that I feel is very important is building competing economies and, and counter uh, and, and competing currencies as well. And one thing that we've been doing in Central Texas is encouraging the participation and the use of silver dimes as well as barter. I think this is very important. It's also a great way to avoid the income tax as well that we barter a lot of goods and services. Uh, and a note on the Federal Reserve, here's a great way to contrast the political means with the agorist means. We have a problem. We have the Federal Reserve Bank. It creates money out of thin air. That money is used to murder and slaughter people and enslave us here at home. And one solution is to ask the Congress to audit the Fed or end the Fed, the very same Congress that, of course, benefits from the Fed in that it creates money for their programs. They don't have to raise taxes, but they do anyway. So I, I think it's a fallacy to ask them to end the Fed because it benefits from them so much. The best way to end the Fed is to limit or stop altogether your use of Federal Reserve notes. Because every time you hand a Federal Reserve note over, you're building value in the very system that's enslaving you. So there all are all our alternatives, and it's very difficult, of course, and a lot of people uh, get paid in, in dollars, but you know, if you run your own business, see if some of your contracts will, will be willing to accept silver or pay you in silver. It's a, it's a great way to go. We started the Black and Yellow Pages. It's a local, uh, it's actually a nationwide business directory of liberty-minded uh, businesses and services uh, that you know, trade or barter in silver. Uh, and all sorts of great stuff. So I think that's absolutely imperative because as we all see, the economy is gonna come down, it's gonna come collapsing, it's gonna come collapsing hard, and you can bet that the establishment is gonna be waiting in the wings to offer an even more centralized and unjust institution, like an Amero or IMF special drawing rights. Wouldn't it be nice if we, as a liberty movement, could provide an alternative to the masses, the means of using a, a commodity-based currency or a local competing exchange institution so uh, yeah, we've been making these dime cards. I don't know if anybody's seen them uh, over at our table, and it's a wonderful educational tool. This one just so happens to say, every Federal Reserve note you hold, every Federal Reserve note you hold, central banks can leverage 10 times. Boycott empire, use silver. The final institution I'd like to chat about is the Institution of Competing Defense and Justice. Now, this is an institution that just so happens to be uh, the most risky and that the state seems to prize the most. Uh, if you notice, there's a couple police officers at the bar up at the front of the hotel. There's also a sheriff that showed up, the sheriff of this county. And if you notice, they were open carrying firearms. Why can't I open carry a firearm? I'm a peaceful person. I'll sure feel a lot safer if I was able to open carry a firearm. But here in the great independent state of Texas, where we claim to pride ourselves on the Second Amendment, the state government exercises that monopoly. They force that monopoly. And you can see the only people that are allowed to wear those firearms are the ones that have a badge on their chest. And I think the firearm would help protect us from criminals and help protect us from a criminal state. So one thing we can do in order to set up these competing institutions is uh, start at the very 
most grassroots level with the neighborhood watch team, but try to encourage the people, because the police have already thought of this, of course, not to call the police for every single suspicious activity that happens, but to start working towards solutions that don't involve violence, where you could potentially not compel someone through force, but through reason, and just let them know, hey, you know, we know you got Homeboy's DVD. We're gonna tell your mother. No. <laughs> So I think that's absolutely imperative that we create these institutions of competing defense. One of those is a, a local militia. Uh, that's something that I've been supportive of, uh, although I don't agree with the idea of using a militia to further the state or force state upon people, but you know, historically militias have been about protecting individuals, and that's what the original militia was that uh, fought the declaration, fought the, the war for independence and, and had the Declaration of Independence pushed. Uh, additionally, we started a group called Lone Star Smart, and uh, there's actually an S missing in the, uh, the brochures that you guys have. Lone Star Smart, not Lone Star Mart, although we do have Brave New Bookstore if you wanted to go to a Lone Star Mart. Uh, but yeah, Lone Star Smart, it means the Sovereign Mutual Aid Response Team, and it's essentially a, a mutual compact between individuals who are dedicating themselves to each other, and if they ever come under fire, whether it's from anybody, random Joe, criminal in the community, or even from the government itself, we're dedicating ourselves to stand up and, and commit each other, commit ourselves to one another, uh, mutual defense compact. Essentially, we started the Lone Star Liberty Bell. It's slow to pick up, but it's essentially a number that you call if you're in an emergency, if you're pulled over, if your house is being robbed, and it then sends out a message to everybody that's subscribed to the network. Because I'm encouraging people to, to peacefully not comply with these coercive programs. The income tax is one of them. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to be ready and willing to stand up for one another. Because if one person stands up, you know, what do they say? You know, we can either stand up together or we're all hanged separately. So that's definitely something that I'm calling for, competing institutions of defense, competing institutions of justice. If there's ever a problem with, with one another, with someone within the movement, let's not go to the civil courts. Let's find a, a third-party arbitrator. All of these are possibilities. We can create a society without an institution of monopolized violence. It's difficult, but we just have to stand up and do it. And I know it's risky. I understand it's difficult to live free. I don't ne live nearly as free as, as I possibly can. Cat Catherine did a, a discussion on consistency. Uh, I haven't decided whether or not I'm going to renew my driver's license. I very well might. Maybe I'll try to get one up in Wyoming or something like that, or one that lasts longer. Uh, I paid $16 to the IRS uh, last year. I uh, should have paid a lot more, but uh, had a lot of business write-offs. But that $16 was $16 too much. If that paid for five bullets that could be put in someone's head, uh, then that's too much. I especially don't appreciate being forced to pay for the enslavement of my fellow Americans. That's something I don't appreciate about the income tax, let alone my own enslavement. So I understand it's rough. They, they boot people's door down. They, they have their firearm brandished, ready to pull it out. They have mace. People have been victims of police brutality in this room. People have been locked up in this room. It's not pleasant. We shouldn't be enforcing victimless crimes, but, but it happens all the time. So I want the people to know that Hope for America doesn't lie in a political campaign. It's Ron Paul's slogan, Hope for America. Hope for America doesn't lie in a piece of paper either. Hope for America lies in what these two flags represent, come and take it and the don't tread on me flag. Hope for America lies in individuals who understand that they're inherently free and who are ready and willing to stand up to defend it no matter the cost. That's what Hope for America lies in. So again, my message today is to stand up, to not ask permission to be free, to choose freedom now. And I know it may come at a risk, but I want you to know there's strength in numbers, there's strength in unity, and there's strength in truth. And we have all 
three of those. So all we have to do is stand up and there's no putting us down. Thank you. Woo!